Well, good morning, Grace. My name is Kip Docterman, and I'm one of the elders here at Grace, and it's a privilege to be with you this morning. And as Kenny has said, and as they have effectively led us this morning, we are in the middle of the Bible conference focusing on the Lord's Prayer, and this morning we're going to jump into petition number four. Uh, if you did not have the opportunity to come last night, or if you're unable, obviously you will not make both sessions of the breakout sessions because you're here. Um, but if you would like to, all of these sessions will be online. Uh, that is the desire. We are hoping technically and whatnot that all works out. And, uh, but that's a lot of content that they got to do. So maybe by the end of the week, all of these sessions uh, would be up there if you want to see any portion of them that you missed. Um, last night, we covered the first part of the Lord's Prayer. And I thought it would be helpful to just give you a framework. I can't review what they all did last night, but I, let me give you a framework of something that has helped me as I've been looking at and studying and reading and praying through the Lord's Prayer. It seems to me, you know, you look at the beginning of Matthew 5, Jesus says his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And then he, they come and they ask him, how do you pray? And he says, well, pray like this. And the first words he says to them in the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father. And to me, those two words are the most, I'll say most important, maybe that's not the proper terminology, but they are very important. It seems to me that the entire prayer hangs on those two words. In the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus refers to your Father, your Heavenly Father, your Father in Heaven, 17 times. And his disciples, he, it sounds like he's telling his disciples that God is your father. Moyer told us last night, this is a relationship in love. There is community there. There is communion. There is closeness. There are roles there. He is our father. We are his children. A father is a protector, a guardian, a provider. As children, we rest in our Father. We learn from our Father. We imitate our Father. And so right off the bat, Jesus tells us, when you come and pray, you come and pray to our Father. And then underneath that hang the next three petitions. Now you've heard probably uh, the acronyms, WWJD, what would Jesus do? N-O-T-W, not of this world. Well, here's my acronym for you. YN, YK, YW, your name be hallowed. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Whose name? Our Father's name is to be hallowed. Whose kingdom are we looking for? It's our Father's kingdom. It's our Father's will that we want to see accomplished in our life. I don't know if you've heard yourself described this way, but as human beings, we are souls that are eternal, that have a physical body that is temporal. We are eternal souls that have a temporal body. 
The problem is, as we deal in this temporal space, we can become very preoccupied, very focused, very gazing and concerned about our temporal body. And it's almost as if Jesus, in the beginning of his prayer, the first thing he wants to walk up to us and do is say, here, grab me by the chin, and let's lift your head. Look up to the eternal. Let's get some perspective here. Let's get some orientation here. Let's look to the eternal. Would you look in the eyes of your father? Would you look at his name and his kingdom and his will? This is what everything we do about. As we go to work, as we go to school, as we, you know, care for our family and change dirty diapers and cook meals, it's your name, your kingdom, your will. Well, underneath that then hangs the petitions, some we're going to look at this morning. It's more of our petitions. It's more of our request of God. We're now the focus in the Lord's Prayer. It's kind of the second half of the Lord's Prayer where we change and he says, okay, now give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. So this morning, we're going to look at those first two, give us and forgive us, and we're going to do it a little different this morning. We're going to talk about the first petition here, and we're going to take a break and have an opportunity to be able to do that as we pray and meditate on it and sing some more. And then we'll come back and look at the second petition and do the same thing again. So if you have not already and you have your Bibles, turn in them, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're heading. And let me just read or recant the Lord's Prayer to the point that we're at so we can get it in a context. But Jesus, teaching his disciples to pray, he said, Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, there were some church fathers that when they came to this petition, we had just looked through three petitions of the eternal, it seems like, of God's name being hallowed and his kingdom coming and his will being accomplished. And then we come to this petition of give us bread? That seems so earthy. That seems so basic. That, that almost, isn't that almost demeaning that we should come to God and ask for bread? And so they changed it, and they, and they wanted to spiritualize it a little bit, and they said, so maybe what he's talking about here is when he broke bread and said, this is my body which is given for you, and so they spiritualized it to mean communion. But I think we miss something if we don't realize that it means bread. Because who are we praying to? We're praying to our Father. What Father does not care about the basic, fundamental, elementary needs of his children? Let's, let's jump over to Matthew 7. What Jesus tells us in Matthew 7 is he says, ask. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And then he expands on the ask. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? 
Or if he asked for fish, would give him a snake. Bread and fish were two of the main staples of their diet in first century. Bread and fish are the two things that Jesus took that a little boy had, and he multiplied it, and he fed 5,000 men and their families. It's a basic, fundamental food. And Jesus says, well, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so we come to our Father. He says, come and ask us for the basic needs of your life. Food, shelter, there are basic fundamental needs. What Jesus is also telling us is that, yes, you can pray to your Father for his kingdom to come, for these great and grand things, but I can also come to my Father and ask for the basic request of life. We can come to our Father for all of those things and ask him for them. Now, Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. The Jews may have remembered back to their ancestors, the children of Israel, when God brings them out of Egypt, we read about it in Exodus 16. Two and a half months after they come out of Egypt, they're grumbling and complaining because they don't quite have as much food as they had when they were back in Egypt. And God hears their grumbling and complaining, and he provides food for them. And one of the ways he provides food for them is to give them manna from heaven. And so each morning, they're told they can go out and gather what they need for one day. Gather the manna that you need for one day. And on the sixth day, they were told, gather what you need for two days so that they didn't have to gather on the Sabbath. And then Jesus says to us in this prayer, give us this day our daily need, our daily bread. What is he saying to us? It's a statement of trust. The statement of trust where I say, I can come to my Father and I can ask my Father for what I need today. I don't need to worry about tomorrow. Why? Because I know my Father will be there tomorrow and tomorrow I can ask him what I need for this day. And he's going to be there the next day and I can ask him for what I need on that day. In fact, the children of Israel, 14,610 days in a row, Manna from heaven. Every day. They didn't have to collect extra. Manna from heaven. God provided for 40 years. And he comes to us and Jesus says, you can come to your Father and you can ask for your needs and you only need to worry about today because he'll be there tomorrow and you can ask him tomorrow for what you need on that day. So it's a statement of trusting our Father. Well, if, the state, if that's trust, what's the opposite of trust? It's worry. We have tendency to worry about the next day. And are we going to be cared for? And Jesus addresses that. If you come back into Matthew 6, verse 31, he actually starts a little earlier on this discourse of, of worry. Saying, you know, the birds of the air, they don't sow, reap, store in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they And he concludes this little discussion on worry by saying, so don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? 
For the pagans run after those things. That's their focus on life. That's what they go after. That's what their purpose and objectives of life are. Food, drink, clothing, shelter. He says, don't do that. But what do we do instead? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, what we shall eat, what we shall drink, what we shall wear, will be added unto you as well. Well, as I looked at that, I kind of went, that looks a lot like the Lord's Prayer to me. Your name, your kingdom, your will. So maybe what Jesus is telling us, you know, the Lord's Prayer is not just something we recite, we pray, we memorize. Maybe the Lord's Prayer is actually something we can live. We can live it in our daily life. Well, Jesus says in this that your Father knows that you need them. Philippians 4.19, Paul says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So we, do we come to our Father and do we ask him for our needs or can I come to my Father and ask him for wants? And if we look at it in the context that we have here with our Father, who are we praying to? Our Father. What Father is not delighted to hear the desires, the dreams, the hopes, the wants of his children? Delighted to hear it. And we pray to him in the context of your name, your kingdom, your will. So we can come to our Father and we can ask him for our wants. I was at the farmer's market a couple weeks ago. I had my five-year-old grandson with me. And sometimes at this farmer's market, there's a guy there who does these balloons, you know, you know the big creations that people do with balloons? Well, this guy's at the beginning of that, so he does very small little creations. There's nothing fancy about him at all. In fact, my, my grandson normally walks out with a blue sword. That's the one he, he picks. And, and we got there, and he saw it, and he said, Pop, can I have a balloon? And I kind of went, well, let's see. That's code language for I hope you forget by the time we get down there. He didn't. And as we got down there closer and closer, he said, Pop, can I have a balloon? And I'm kind of thinking, you know, half the time the balloons pop before we even get back to the car. The other half the time is left in the car because it's not really that great of a thing. So I thought, this is a good time for a teaching moment. <laughs> so I bent over and I looked at him in the eye and I said, do you really need a balloon? And without missing a beat, he came back to me and I quote, no, I do not need one. I just want one. <laughs> and he got a balloon. <laughs> because your heavenly father, what father does not want to give good gifts to his children? I mean, think about it. How many things do we have in our life and how many things have we prayed for that we don't need but we wanted? I didn't need a spouse. My wife may disagree with me, but I didn't need a spouse, but I prayed for one. I didn't need children and grandchildren, but I prayed for them. Why? 
because he's the giver of good and perfect gifts, and he loves to give gifts to his children, and these are gifts from God. And so we come to God and we say, your name, your kingdom, your will, Father. See, that's the other reason why I can ask my heavenly Father for even some really outrageous wants. Because unlike we as earthly parents who sometimes give our children things they should not have, God will not. He will not give you something you should not have. And so sometimes he will say no to us. Sometimes he'll say, I've got something better. Look at Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul pleads with God, would you remove this thorn in my flesh? Three times he asked, please, would you remove this thorn in my flesh? That seems like a pretty reasonable request, doesn't it? And what was God's answer to him? No. No, I won't. But it's not just a no, Paul. You know what it was? Paul, I've got something better for you. I'm going to give you my grace. And you're going to find that my grace is sufficient. And Paul, I'm going to give you my power because my power will be made perfect in your weakness. But he said no. Now, here's another one. Moyer mentioned it last night. I, didn't, I thought of this a couple of weeks ago. I was studying for this and thinking about prayers of want and prayers of need. And Well, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prays to his father. He says, Father, if at all possible, would this cup pass from me? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And what was God the Father's answer to his son? No, it's not possible. And how did Jesus respond to having the answer be, no, this cup is not possible to be passed from you? Did he say, fine then, have it your way, I'm out of here? I'm going to take my toys and go home? No, Scripture says he submitted to the will of his Father because he was in line with knowing what the kingdom of God was all about. He submits to it, and for the joy set before him, Hebrews tells us, he endured the cross. He went to the cross. See, we can come to our Father and we can ask him for all of our daily needs. And he'll hear that prayer and he will answer it. A lot of times, not the way we like. But he hears us and we come to him and we ask him. We ask him for hopes and dreams and desires. We can ask him for his kingdom to come all the way down to the basic fundamental needs of life. I'd like to take a few minutes here, and let's do that. You can do it privately, and then I'd ask that some of you would pray out. And, and maybe some of us need to look at just all of the Lord's Prayer to this point, and some of us maybe need to sit in the fact of realizing that our Father in heaven, and we just need to wrestle with that and grasp that, because our understanding of God being our Father is huge. It will change a lot of things in your life. Maybe we need to hallow his name or pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be accomplished. Maybe we need to come to him and ask him for our prayers and wants for today and realize that he is a, a God who cares and will provide for us. Well, let's take a few minutes here and let's pray. And if some of you would like to pray out loud, please do. 
And after a few minutes, Kenny will come and, and lead us again in another song. So forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. As we come to our Heavenly Father, the same way we come to Him and recognize that we are totally dependent on Him for our daily needs, we come to Him and recognize that we have debts that we cannot pay, that we are bankrupt. And we come to our Heavenly Father and we ask Him for forgiveness because He is the only one capable of forgiving us. We recognize our need for forgiveness. And we come to him who knows us intimately and ask for forgiveness. Now maybe what we should do first is define what forgiveness maybe is and isn't. You'll hear a lot of people say to you, finish this statement for me, you just need to forgive and forget. For some people that's a philosophy. For other people, that's a theology. And they kind of come to that theology from um, different passages, like uh, Psalm 103, where it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed your sins from you. And then we see passages in, in Isaiah and in Hebrews where, where he says that God forgives our debts and he remembers them not. He remembers them no more. People say, well, East to west is infinite. I can't get there. And God remembers them not. He forgets them. My analytical mind kicks in, and I kind of go, okay, I have some difficulty with that, especially if forgetting means like an erasure, like the event never happened. Because I may be physical, I may be finite, but God is infinite, so east to west for God, I mean, what is that, about this far? I mean, if he can put my sins there, obviously he can get there, okay? And then if he forgets, well, how does an all-knowing God forget? And what do we do when I come back to him because I have not forgotten and I'm still struggling with the ramifications of this debt. Yes, I know I've been forgiven, but I, there's still ramifications from it. And I'm still struggling with those. And I come back to God, and I talk to him about it, and I, I want help with it. Does he kind of look at me with an inquisitical look going, I have no idea what you're talking about? Okay. But if remember not is an act of your will, if that is an act of his will, for instance, if I'm in the courtroom of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I'm in court, and I'm in judgment, and they say, bring forth all the evidence against Kip Docterman, and I see this mound, this pile of debt that I have obtained over my life, and Jesus comes down and he starts picking them up one by one to go through them and bring forth the evidence. And he picks it up and he sees his blood. And it's as if that debt has been stamped, paid in full, and he sets it aside. He picks up the next, oh, paid in full, paid in full, paid in full, paid in full. Every debt gets set aside. Why? Because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. He sets them aside. He remembers them not. You know, what is actually a more beautiful picture of forgiveness and the gospel is to forgive and remember. That's a transformation that's required. There's all kinds of examples that we could give of people who forgive, but they have not forgotten. That theology can get us in trouble sometimes because if I can't forget, and forgiveness and forgetting are equated, if I can't forget, then can I really forgive? Dallas Willard gives this definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is to not use it to harm another. To not use it to harm another. Have you ever been on either side of this equation to where you've either Somebody's forgiven you or you have forgiven somebody, but you keep throwing it in their face. You keep reminding them of it. Maybe it's not even the debt that you're reminding them of. Maybe it's just the fact that I forgave you. You know, you should be glad that I forgave you. And we keep throwing it in their face and we keep harming them by it. That's not forgiveness. Jesus, he doesn't forget it but he sets it aside. The debt has been paid in full. And we come to our Father because he is the only one capable of paying our debt in full. But then Jesus, in this this petition, he says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And he goes on, two verses later, he says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive your sins. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Well, that seems to be a conditional clause. That seems to be as if I have to do something first before I can be forgiven. But the whole of Scripture doesn't say that's true. If you were here for last year's Bible conference, we looked over the five solas. Scripture alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. There was nothing that we can do to obtain. There is nothing we can do to add to our salvation, our forgiveness. So what's Jesus doing here? What's, what's, what's he doing And I think what we're going to see is Jesus is exposing our hearts. He's going to expose our hearts here. Turn over to Matthew 7. Next page over. First two verses. Because Jesus does a similar thing here, and then he explains it to us. He says, do not judge, or you also will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What's the issue that Jesus is talking about here? We're judging people with two different standards. We have two different measures. You see, we look at our own life and we hold it up to this very low standard. This standard that would allow, as Jesus said, a plank to be in our eye this area of sin to be in our life and just to exist there and reside there and nothing's being done to to clear that out or to do anything about it because we hold ourselves to such a low standard. 
And then we come to somebody else and we stick them under a microscope and we find that smallest little speck and we nail them for it. We judge them for it. Jesus says, no, you're using two different standards. You know what you're doing? You know what you are when you use two different standards? You're a hypocrite. That's what are. You are a hypocrite. He said, you use the same standard. Well, we can do the same thing with forgiveness. We can come to a situation and we can say, do you have any idea what that person did to me? Do you have any idea the evil that they perpetrated on me, the sin, how repeatedly they did it, how much joy they had in their eyes when they did it, how much of my life was affected by that, how it has harmed me to this day, how I'm still dealing with it? Do you have any idea how bad that was? I will never forgive that person. I would be a fool to forgive that person. I would be dumb and unwise for me to forgive that person. And then we walk over to the cross and we see our debt. And we see what we owe God. And, and as evil as that may have been, it pales in comparison. And then we look at God and say, okay, God, I'm expecting you to be a fool and forgive me. I'm expecting you to be unwise and dumb and forgive me. We have two different standards. Let me illustrate it another way. We have just been praying in this prayer, our Father, your name, your kingdom, your will. Here's the problem. His kingdom and his will include forgiveness. They include forgiveness. Well, now what are we going to do? Are we going to treat his kingdom and will like a smorgasbord? You know, if I walk up to a smorgasbord and I see Brussels sprouts there, I don't care how you cook them. I don't care what you dip them in, what you wrap them with. They are nasty. They do not belong on my plate. When I was a, when I was a kid, my dog wouldn't even eat them. They're terrible. And we can start looking and going, oh, you know, I love this over here. I want a bunch of that. You know, I can take a little bit of this. That's okay for a while. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's good over there. And if we start doing that with God's kingdom, and we start saying, oh, I don't know what aspect it is of his kingdom you want to do that with, whether it's um, uh, forgiveness, grace, mercy, justice, kindness, generosity, compassion. I don't care what aspect of the kingdom, but if we start looking at God's kingdom and go, yeah, no, yeah, that's good. No, no. Oh, man, you got it wrong here, God. Well, now all of a sudden, if he's got something wrong in his kingdom and his will for our life, then we better come back and question whether or not his name should be hallowed. Is he really good? Is he really wise? See, that's what he's saying to us. Ultimately, what we are saying to God, tell you what, God, you, you sit here, because I like some things about your kingdom, but ultimately, God, I'm going to sit on the throne of my life because obviously I know better than you about what a kingdom should be like, and I'm going to be God, and I'm going to decide, and I'm going to rule. And Jesus exposes our heart to the hypocrisy of what we're asking. 
Hebrews 4. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, it pierces, even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. Listen, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He's exposing our heart to us. But I said, God, I I don't want to be on the throne. I don't want that. I know what my kingdom looks like. That's nasty. I know where my will gets me. It gets me into trouble. But God, it's not just that I can't forgive this person. I don't even want to. I have no desire to forgive this person. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, we go back to the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, and we start over again. And we realize that we're coming to our Father who knows us. He knows the condition of our heart. We say, hallowed be your name. You are good. You are wise. You are holy. You are just. Satan is lying to me, God, and telling me you're not good. But you are. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom is the best kingdom. Your will be done. You have the best will for us. Again, Satan is lying to me, telling me that my kingdom is better and my will is better. But no, God, I want your kingdom and your will to reign in my life. I want you on the throne of my life. Give us this day our daily bread. Father, I'm dependent on you for everything. Everything. And this is a place where I would say, yeah, let's expand that understanding a little bit. Because in John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me will never hunger or thirst. And so we pray, give us this day our daily bread. It's Jesus, I need you today. I need to taste you today. I need you to fill me today. I need your spirit to change me and fill me today because, Father, if you don't do that, Jesus, if you don't fill me, I can't do the next sentence in this prayer without you. I'm incapable of doing it. Forgive me that I have an unforgiving heart. Forgive me that I don't hallow your name. Forgive me that I don't want to live in your kingdom all the time. Forgive me that I don't want your will to be accomplished in my life all the time. Father, forgive me. I need you to change me. I need you to transform me. And he will hear your prayer and he will do that. Paul writes in Philippians 3, For our citizenship is in heaven, in the kingdom of God, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the one who has paid the price, paid in full every one of our debts, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body,
according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself, according to his power. I'd like to take a few minutes now and for us to pray and meditate and ask for forgiveness and confession. For some of you this morning, maybe you have never come to God and realized your indebtedness to him and your bankruptcy and your lack of ability to pay. You've never known forgiveness completely. And you can come to your father today and you can say, God, would you forgive me? I do not want to be on the throne of my life. I want to follow you and have your kingdom reign and your will be done in my life. He will do that. Just tell him. Talk to him. Maybe this morning you're here and you have some conflict or issue. Maybe it's with the person you're sitting next to. A spouse, a child, a, a, a parent. And I'm going to encourage you at this time to do some business with them and to offer forgiveness and to receive forgiveness and to do some reconciling right now. Maybe it's somebody in this room that's across the room from you. You may need to get up and walk across the room and sit with them. I would challenge you to do that right now. I'm going to ask the prayer team members if they would go ahead and come up front. And I'd like us to spend some time in confession to the Lord. If some of you want to pray out loud, please do. If you want to kneel at your chair, do that. You want to kneel at the platform. You want to come prayer with the, pray with the prayer team. You do that. Whatever you need to do to do business with God right now, I would challenge you to do that because your loving Father desires and loves to offer forgiveness. It's part of his kingdom. It's part of his will for you.